Hi there, and welcome to Finding Our Flavour, a podcast about food and people where we meet people and we try their food. It's a show that asks, how does the food we grow up with help shape the people we grow up to be, especially if you're living in the hyphen, between cultures? My guest today is the CBS News foreign correspondent, Imtiaz Tayyab. Here's a little taster. Capers and chili and olives and garlic. Ginger and turmeric and garam masala. You can figure this out. (laughs) Here's the ingredients. Come on, little hairy fish. In you go. My mum wouldn't go to the shop to buy tortilla shells. She would make roti and we would put in all of our taco ingredients and would eat it like that. So you first tried this in a hotel that blew up. Hmm. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Fond memories of a long ago time. We can't change the past, so why don't we start working on trying to make a better future? And if we can use food, I think that's a pretty good gateway. Hey everyone, I'm Rajesh Merchandani, food fan, broadcaster, story whisperer. I was born in India, grew up in England, and now I live in America. I started finding our flavour because I really want to share my mum's amazing Indian recipes with you. And because I think, for many people, especially those of us from migrant and diaspora communities, the food we grow up with reminds us where we came from, but also helps us figure out who we are in the places we now call home. My guest today is the foreign correspondent for CBS News, Imtiaz Tayyab. He's reported from all over the world and covered many conflicts, including Ukraine. Here he is at work there. Here in the heart of Lviv's historic city centre, a memorial of sorts, what you see here is 109 strollers and baby seats. This represents the 109 children who have died since Russia's invasion began. And here in this Ukrainian city, people here are honouring them and remembering them. When he's not covering hard news from around the world and he's back on base in London, Imtiaz also gets to report on lighter fare, including that city's vibrant food scene. London is also where he spent the pandemic lockdown. For months, Imtiaz couldn't get back home to Canada and couldn't enjoy his mother's South Asian cooking, food from her upbringing in Pakistan. In fact, he says he got into cooking himself to fill that gap. When we spoke, I started by asking him, What's on the menu today? Rogers, it's my absolute delight to be here. Uh, well, what's on the menu today is something my mother never cooked for me. Uh, <laughs> it is, uh, it's called pasta alla putanesca, which uh, it is shorthand for whore's pasta. Uh, I don't know what that <laughs> says about me or myself, but it is um, very unique in sort of the Italian sort of repertoire and palate. It's sort of known for its bold and punchy flavors. Uh, and it's spicy. Uh, and pata, pasta alla putanesca, which has capers and chili and olives and garlic and all of these things all at once to sort of just be this sort of flavor explosion in your mouth. More importantly, it's also one of the first things that I learned how to cook on my own, besides making toast and boiling eggs. <laughs> um, well, what it says about you, <laughs> we'll talk about that later. But I have to say, it's not the type of dish I was expecting you to share with us. You know, I was expecting mm. something South Asian, something full of ginger and turmeric and garam masala yeah. and chili. So I'm guessing maybe the chili is the way in for you for this dish. Is that the connection here? 
Yes, that and also it's really easy to make. Uh, South Asian food is really hard to make. It's really complicated. It requires a lot of ingredients. It requires skill and technique and spices. And, but when it comes to pasta alla puttanesca, interestingly, this is not uh, a dish that I first tried in, in Italy, a country uh-huh. I've visited many times. Uh, it's actually something that I discovered when I was living in Islamabad the capital of Pakistan. And okay, that is weird, yeah. <laughs> well, what it was is there's this hotel, uh, sadly, you know, notorious, not notorious, but a hotel that some of us may know. It's the Marriott Hotel, which was all but despo- destroyed in a, a massive explosion many years ago. Um, and, uh, and of course, it's been rebuilt. And, you know, it's a, it's a sort of a thriving place where people meet journalists, business people, all sorts of things. But it also has some really good restaurants, one of them being an Italian restaurant. Uh, and the most popular thing on the menu was pasta la puttanesca. And the reason I think is, is because... Again, when it hits your tongue, it's spicy and it's, you know, flavorful and it has these really strong flavors, which is really typical of South Asian cooking. So you first tried this in a hotel that blew up. Hmm. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Fond memories of a long ago time. (laughs) And it's almost because of the chili, it's almost like baby steps to Indian cooking for you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I think for me, it really, you know, I like strong flavored foods, right? It's what I grew up eating, right? You know, when I think about the kind of food that my, you know, I I grew up in Vancouver, I grew up in Canada, uh, first generation Canadian. And when you're, and as you know, when you are somebody of multiple cultures, you, you kind of want the, the, the things that the dominant culture kind of tells you you want, whether it's food and that sort of thing. But you yearn for the things that you were given um, from your parents. And and food, I think, is one of those things. And so growing up, even though we wanted things like tacos or hamburgers and that sort of thing, which your average North American kid would want, my mom would, and I guess I'll use this phrase, kind of desify it, right? Kind of make it with flavors that you would probably find in more of a South Asian style. So take hamburger patties. You know, my mom wouldn't just get a bunch of mincemeat, maybe put a bit of salt and pepper in it and throw it on the grill. It would have onions. It would have coriander. It would have chili. It would have red pepper. It would have all sorts of other things in it before it went on the grill. Uh, and that's what our hamburgers would take taste like. Even things like tacos. Like my mom wouldn't go to the shop to buy tortilla shells. She would make roti and we would put in all of our taco ingredients and would eat it like that. And, uh, and I think that sort of hybrid or fusion, which are words we use now, but maybe not words I, I used in the 80s talking about the food we were eating, but that's really what it was is these very sort of common things that you would find in your sort of Western food palette. But my mother, because of her own tastes and maybe what we were reared on, would sort of infuse the flavors of our dining table into those sort of Western things. Um, And I think puttanesca, even though it's a very distinctly Italian thing, it has echoes of all of that. I think that's what I was drawn to it as the first thing I learned how to cook on my own. That's really fascinating. Um, when I grew up in the UK, same thing, you know, there's the dominant British culture outside and inside Indian culture. Um, but my mum didn't kind of mix the foods. It was oh, you know, wow. one day we'd have Indian food and one day we'd have English food. I'm wondering mm. why do you think your mum mixed the two for you? As opposed to saying, 
if you're eating this today, be happy <laughs> yeah. with it. More than anything, it was just more of an instinctual thing. Like, okay, my kids are watching stuff on television or have gone to their friend's house and have eaten these things. How do I kind of make them happy and give it to us? And it wasn't because my mom instinctively wanted to make us hamburgers for dinner, even though it was a lot easier to make than a pot of curry, which is very time consuming, requires a lot of ingredients, a hell of a lot easier to make some burgers. Um, but it really was sort of putting what she knew um, as somebody who, who had to cook dinner after she came, came home from work uh, to kind of, you know, again, ensure that we had those, those flavors. Now, in saying that, my mom is an extraordinary cook. She really could just look at something and kind of figure out how to make it. Um, and so, you know, we did also have things like Canadian Thanksgiving. We would have a turkey and we'd have mashed potatoes and like they were just regular mashed potatoes and regular gravy and that sort of thing. So not everything we had was sort of desified, as I like to say it, but a lot was. Now, back to the pasta alla puttanesca for a moment. Mm. When, when you, What was it like the first time you tried to make it? Good. <laughs> I think I'm pretty, I'm a pretty instinctual cook. Uh, I, for so, look, I, I, I'm 42 years old. Okay. Like I, I'm not, I'm not that young. Uh, and I came to cooking very late in life because, you know, you're a journalist, you're very busy, you're traveling, you're, you know, it's, it's it just wasn't something that I thought I'd ever be good at. And, uh, and I just kind of was like, okay, <laughs> you can figure this out. <laughs> Here's the ingredients. Go for it. I'm glad you say that it's easy to make uh, because, you know, before we before we sat down to record this, you know, you sent me the recipe and I mm. had a go at making it. And here's what that sounded like. Let's take a listen to that now. Ooh. I love anchovies. I love, love, love them. Just a couple. I'm going to sneak one. Mm. Oh, my gosh. I just know this dish is going to be so good. This is a recipe that involves some really powerful flavors like anchovies, garlic, chili, basil, olives, capers, and lemon, all in a really delicious, rich tomato sauce. Right, I think we're ready to start cooking. Garlic and the chili, here we go. Just gonna give that a stir. Oh wow, just immediately the fragrance comes out. So good. <laughs> oh my god, and the capers and the olives are going in there. This is gonna be so great. Give that a little stir. And in goes the anchovies. Oh yeah. Come on, little hairy fish. In you go. Wow, it's just symphony. A symphony producer Paul said. Absolutely, you're absolutely right. Okay, so I need to get some white wine ready. Never a bad thing. The recipe only calls for about half a cup. Maybe a splash more. Screw top, always the best. Tin of tomatoes. There's quite a lot of water in this dish so far, so I'm gonna let this bubble and reduce with the lid off so that it gets a little thicker. Maybe a product of the touch of extra wine. Maybe because of a little bit more wine in there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that sauce has really thickened up now. Right, let's try this baby. Oh my goodness. Oh wow. Oh wow. That's really good. 
you get the tomato, you get the, the brininess from the olives, and then and the garlic, and then at the end, you get this hit of chilli right in the back of your throat. Gosh, just one little tiny spoonful. My nose is running a little bit. It's fantastic. Wow. Wow. If you're listening, go to our website for pictures of my efforts making Imtiaz's pasta alla puttanesca and also for the recipe. And then have a go yourself and let us know how it turned out for you. Send us a message at findingourflavor.com. So Imtiaz, I really noticed, I mean, firstly, you'll have heard that, you know, I like a little bit more wine in my recipes. I, I was going to say, I did that. put in the recipe that it is optional, Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought it was mandatory <laughs> to add more. <laughs> Um, but I really noticed the, you know, the first things you get are those other flavors, the olives, the lemons, mm. um, and then the heat of the chili is there at the end. And actually, in fact, that's how I like a lot of my South Asian food to be. The chili doesn't overwhelm you, but it's there sort of backstopping everything else at the end. Mm. And I wondered if that was also another reason why you sort of connected this as like, this is, these are your baby steps into South Asian cooking. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a real misunderstanding of, of South Asian food, which is people just think, oh, it's supposed to like blow your head off hot. Yeah. And that's not really what it is. It is a really complex and yeah. nuanced and yes, at times quite spicy um, cuisine. And, you know, again, as we've said before, it, it became this kind of gateway of confidence, really, where I thought, if I can make pasta alla puttanesca, which I love, and I'm going to make it again, I'm going to start trying to make other things as well. Uh, and and I, it wasn't a straight line from pasta alla puttanesca to, okay, let me take on a really kind of complicated chicken curry. It was like, okay, I'm going to try to learn how to use a skillet and pan fry chicken and get a really lovely kind of um, skin sear, you know, sear on this, on a chicken skin. And, you know, maybe I'm going to do like a mushroom sauce and that sort of thing. And it's all in one skillet and that's going to taste really, really good. And then from there, I was like, you know what? And remember it was the pandemic. I got a lot of time on my hands. I'm going to learn how to make some bread. And, and again, it was just sort of step after step after step to the point where I was just like, and it's now been two months, three months, and I'm really craving the food of home. And, you know, my Indian takeaway is just not cutting it. Um, yeah. Let me try this. Uh, and, and yeah, and now I, I can say with confidence, I can definitely cook some of the things that my mom does far better than me, but it's definitely possible. So you said that you first tried this dish uh, when you were reporting from Pakistan. Hmm. Um, I'm wondering if when you were there, you also got to try other foods that you'd, you'd had growing up from your mum's table. And I'm wondering if that happened, you know, did you kind of have an aha moment thinking, oh, I'm from here? Yeah, I mean, a bit of backstory, you know, I obviously come from a Pakistani background, but I grew up and born and raised in Canada. Uh, my father grew up in Hong Kong and, you know, my mum left Pakistan when she was quite young. Most of my family was in Canada. Um, it wasn't a part of the world that I had a lot of direct connection with as in my childhood. Uh, and so when at 30, even though I'd been there a few times before, I actually was living there for the first time. And that in itself was just such an extraordinary experience to, to not only be in a country where you're, you're from, 
but to figure it out on my own. You know, I wasn't there with my mom and dad. I wasn't there with family. Like I had my own place and I had to go pay bills and then I had to go to work. And I was kind of living my life as a journalist in a country I'm ostensibly from at frankly, a pretty terrible time for this country as well. I mean, you know, this was in the early, it was 2010 to 2014 or so. And, you know, there was Bin Laden and there was terrorism and there were, you know, every day there'd be multiple, you know, terrorist attacks in various cities. And, and it was just, and then obviously Pakistan constantly has political strife and turmoil. And there was a war in Afghanistan raging and all this kind of stuff was happening. And as a journalist, it was endlessly fascinating. But as somebody from Pakistani heritage, it was very hard to navigate my own feelings about what I was seeing and experiencing because, you know, you'd go to places and meet people who have suffered the most unspeakable trauma and horror and looking into their faces, I would see my own reflected in it, um, or those that I loved, and and that in itself was challenging. But in in midst all of that that difficulty um, and and real sort of uh, hard hard heartache, really is the word I'm looking for. Uh, there was so much joy in uncovering and discovering this culture that I am part of and food is a huge part of it. Um, and, and, you know, we come from, from the Punjab, which has a very sort of, you know, distinct sort of food profile, which I think a lot of people around the world are really familiar with. I think when people think Indian food who are not South Asian really are thinking about Punjabi food because you go to a restaurant and it's the creamy curries and all that kind of stuff. And yes, the, the flavors are kind of, you know, morphed and changed to fit Western palates. But a lot of the stuff is really kind of North Indian Punjabi food. Uh, in saying that, the stuff that you find on folks' dinner tables is very different. Um, and so when I started going to places like Lahore, which is sort of the main city in, in Punjab, and started eating foods that, you know, my mom would make, but, you know, in in the market, things like paratas and stuff like sag, and, and it was just you know, this sensory overload of flavor where I was just like, this is amazing. And then to go beyond that and start, you know, and be introduced to other food traditions of Pakistan as well, which I was less familiar with, uh, was amazing and extraordinary. Um, and I also gained a ton of weight. So yeah, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> Did it also make you feel that oh, this is part of me that I actually want to kind of bring a little bit more forward? in my life because it's mm. so great. It's yeah. so it feels so connected to it by seeing it in you know firsthand in Pakistan. You know, again for me, it really is, you know, my tongue sort of whenever I taste these flavors, it really kind of wakes up and comes alive. And don't get me wrong, I love Italian food and I love Thai food and I love, you know, Korean food and and all of the varieties of these flavors. I mean, I am a foodie full stop, but there's just something about South Asian food that that speaks to me, not just in a, this is delicious kind of way, but in a, this is also part of who I am kind of way. Um, it's infused not only with what I like to eat, but just sort of how I feel. And the word I'm looking for here is comfort food. I feel comfort when I have these food. I feel comfort when I smell these aromas. And it's unlike anything I feel when I'm having Korean food, which I had last night and it was delicious. But the comfort uh, that I feel when I have these flavors is unlike anything I have uh, with any other sort of food. And now that I've been 
learning how to cook and really experimenting in the kitchen and can really kind of create the flavors that my mother would recreate every night in our kitchen. You know, it's not only a joy for me to be able to eat, it's also been a joy for me to share. Um, you know, what I, you know, I'm the youngest of five, right? So I have four older brothers. And one of the things that I always said to my mom as I got older was like, aren't you sick of cooking for us? Like, aren't you tired of coming home every night and having to cook for like your five kids and your husband and yourself? And she was like, no, I actually kind of like it. And, and I always thought it was a chore until I started cooking for people. And there is nothing greater than cooking for people. There's nothing greater than feeding people. There's nothing greater than, than, you know, taking some time out of your day and creating something that people are going to love and that's going to nourish them um, and hopefully fill their soul a little bit. And that is also one of the things that I've kind of learned in this pandemic. And also now that I can be with people and sit at a table with people is how important that connection is. And that my actual connection with food is one thing. And, you know, my greediness with food as well. But more importantly, <laughs> it is the the act of not only um, making food for people, but sharing that food with them, which I think is such a beautiful, extraordinary thing. Is it different when you're making and sharing South Asian food with people than when you're making and sharing other yeah, types of cuisine? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Why is that? Yeah. What, what's I, different about it for you? What, and why is that? I think because for the people who are eating it more often than not, it's not their food. It's not their love language on a plate. It is new to them or, or different to them. But more importantly, I think what it is, it's because I'm giving a part of myself here, right? This is mm-hmm. the flavors of my mother. This is the flavor of her mother's kitchen and probably her mother's kitchen. And so it is, there's an intimacy with, making Pakistani food for my friends that there isn't when I try to, you know, make pasta la puttanesca, which they also love. <laughs> but, you know, there there is a real intimacy with me serving the food that I grew up with and then enjoying it. Um, I'm exactly and there's a, the same. And there's, there's a vulnerability to it as well. What if they don't like it? Yeah, I'm exactly <laughs> the same. I feel like, I, I'm, I, I mean, they're not judging me, but I think mm. I'm judging myself more harshly when I'm putting Indian food in front of my friends versus yeah. putting something else, a different type of cuisine in front of my friends. I'm giving part of myself yeah. to them as well. Well, and, and, and like I said, you're giving part of yourself, but you're also giving a part of your mother who presumably taught you how to cook and, and her mother and her mother and just this generation of knowledge which has been passed on through millions of mothers uh, to their children. Uh, and I think that's just a really beautiful thing. And again, now that we're, we're in a place where we can sit around dinner tables again, um, I think the fact that I can now feed people, which is a skill I did not have just two years ago, uh, is a pretty wonderful thing. Um, and it's really something I'm really sort of, yeah, reveling in. Now, hearing about your family's story, uh, you know, your family, you know, back in the day, they moved during partition, mm. uh, moved from what were, well, all of it was India, but they moved to Pakistan. Mm. And my family did the opposite. So my mother's family, wow. she was born in Lahore, which is now in Pakistan. And then after mm. partition, they moved to what is now India. Wow. Um, and what's interesting to me is that, you know, Punjab, where your family's from, was split. 
across the, the yeah. border. Some of it is in India now, some of it is in Pakistan. Gujarat is the same. Sindh province, where my family come from, was entirely subsumed into Pakistan. Mm. And there's this huge Sindhi and Punjabi and Gujarati diaspora all over the world, largely as a result. Having travelled to both, you know, Punjab in Pakistan and Punjab in India, are you struck by, you know, there's such crazy politics and ideologies that divide these countries, but actually the people are very similar. And the food is very similar. And I'm wondering also if you noticed that when you were reporting from the Middle East as well, the kind of different sides between the Israelis and the Palestinians, that food yeah. is something that kind of underlines the difference, uh, you know, belies the differences between people. It's such a fascinating question. Um, and I do want to answer the, the South Asian component first, um, mainly because it's it's so personal to, to you and me. Um, you know, the idea that you're from Lahore, but can't really go there. And the idea that I'm, you know, from what is now modern day India, and it's quite hard for me to go there. You know, the, the current government in India makes it pretty difficult for folks like me to go, just as I'm sure it might be quite difficult for you to go to Pakistan. And yet I have been able to do that. Uh, and having spent time in both countries, and the one thing that strikes me, and I think breaks my heart quite really, um, is we're all the same. A border was drawn. Um, and yes, there's division. And yes, sectarianism is real. And yes, there, there, there are some deep-rooted divisions within all societies. Um, but when I think of South Asians broadly, whether they're on the Indian side of the border or the Pakistani side of the border, this is just my own personal experience, is I find there's so much more that we share than divides us. And our culture, our language, our traditions, our music, and most importantly, our food is so intertwined and so similar. And it just really, it, it breaks my heart that so few people who live on the subcontinent can truly meet each other um, in the middle anymore. And I think if we were able to do that in the way that you and I are in this very moment, we might have a very different subcontinent right now, rather than two countries who are nuclear armed, who have fought multiple wars, or are constantly antagonizing each other. Maybe we would have a very different subcontinent, one in which we sing the same songs, dance to the same music, and eat the same food, and love each other. And when, I, when my grandparents were still alive, they would talk about our village in Punjab, and we we're from the, the Indian side of Punjab, and they talk about their Sikh neighbors and their Hindu neighbors, and they said we would celebrate each other's festivals, we would celebrate each other's traditions, we would sit with each other at night, you know, if one person's farm was doing badly, we would then help. It was a community in the way that we see community here in the West, everywhere else in the world. And yet a decision was made to separate these people based on faith. And, and I think it's to a huge loss and detriment. Now, in saying that, having lived in Pakistan, Pakistan in the last 75 years, despite all of the tumult, has become a fascinating and unique country with a very clear identity in the way that India has as well. And Pakistan struggles and India struggles. And these are young democracies and vulnerable democracies as well. And I just wish that there could be more of 
this person-to-person connection because I think what we would all realize is just how similar we are. Now, to answer your other half of the, the, the question, when I was living in Jerusalem, uh-huh. you know, this is also a partition of sorts. A year after the partition of the subcontinent, there was an agreement to partition what was then known as British Mandate Palestine into uh, Israel and a Palestinian region as well. And it didn't make sense if you looked at it on the map. (laughs) And it is rooted in the complexities of the conflict we see now. Obviously, In 1967, there was a pan-Arab war which saw Israel occupy Palestinian territories and usurp a huge chunk of this territory uh, as well. Um, And there is a huge amount of division. But what's fascinating and what sort of separates these two is that with the exception of Gaza, you see far more person-to-person contact in Israel with Palestinians than you do with Indians and Pakistanis in the subcontinent. We have to remember in, in Israel itself, you have Palestinians who have Israeli passports, Israeli citizenship, and make up about 20, 25% of the, the, the country. You also have the West Bank, which has huge Israeli settlements, obviously a large Israeli military um, population or, or presence, for lack of a better phrase. Um, and so these aren't maybe the best interactions, but they're still interactions. Um, and look, again, there are not similarities um, that I want to sort of you know project on here. But what I know for sure, as somebody who's reported from a lot of places, uh, on a lot of conflicts and and with a lot of division is we can politicize everything. And food is one of those things. And in Israel, Palestine, food has become politicized. Who owns hummus? Who owns falafel? Who owns food traditions, which Palestinians would argue is there, or frankly, other, you know, Middle Easterns would argue it's their food tradition as well, or is it Israeli? And the short answer is, is that I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. But what I do know is that when people sit down and when people share food with each other, it breaks down at least a tiny bit of a barrier. It is not this kumbaya moment where we're all going to fix everything and peace in the Middle East, everything's solved. Absolutely not. But sharing food with people you don't like, I think, can also be a very powerful thing to do. Um, And just like I wish for Indians and Pakistanis to be able to sit across dinner tables with each other and maybe for at least a moment to put aside their differences, I would hope that for Palestinians and Israelis as well. And I would hope this for Ukrainians and Russians. And I know people listening to this might be thinking, well, how when there's so much anger and there's so much hate and there's so much hurt and there's so much animosity? And the only answer I have is what else can we do? right? We can't change the past. So why don't we start working on trying to make a better future? And if we can use food, I think that's a pretty good gateway. And we could even do that in the countries where you and I are living in America and in Britain, where there's such polarization as a way of bridging the gap between people. Imtiaz, thank you so much. It's been amazing to share this conversation and this conversation about food with you. And as a thank you, I'd like to share one of my family's recipes with you. Uh, I'm going to send you the recipe for my mum's chana dal, which has this amazing mix of flavors and textures. You know, the dal is earthy, but not entirely mushy. 
and you to it you add this this vibrant spicy tomato based masala with green chili and cumin seeds and ginger and garlic all the things that you've become experts uh, at cooking with i'd love for you to try the recipe and let me know how you get on as well well i'm honored you would share your mother's recipe with me and i most Absolutely. We'll, we'll try to, to honor that recipe and hopefully make it very good. I love John Adal, so this is a, a treat for me. You're probably going to make it better than me anyway. <laughs> Thank you for being my guest on Finding Our Flavor. My pleasure. That was Imtiaz Tayab, CBS News foreign correspondent based in London. You can get his recipe for pasta alla puttanesca on our website, as well as my mum's recipe for chana dal, all at findingourflavour.com. You can also learn more about our show and get in touch. Food is about sharing, and more than anything, I hope this show can help build a community and remind us what Imtiaz said, that so much more unites us than divides us. Thanks to Maria Byrne, Paul Blake and Revent for help recording and editing. This music is called Leaving Dakar by Mattis Muller. I'm Rajesh Merchandani. Thanks so much for listening. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends to as well. <laughs>